Hey, it's Pastor. I am so excited you could join us uh, as we hear and listen to the Word of God. And I'm always hoping and praying that He's going to specifically guide your life and give you the hope and the peace that you cannot give to yourself. He is the power every time He promises to work through this Word. If He has worked in your life, we want to hear about it. Please email us, let us in, encourage us uh, by emailing office.amazinglove at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry, make messages like this ongoing, uh, go to our giving tab online or download the app. Go to the app store and search Amazing Love Luther. But now, may you continue to grasp how wide, high, and deep and long is the love of Christ in this for you. Thank you. Uh, we have one less hour of sleep, but hopefully one more hour of sunshine. That's the goal and hope. And, um, and, and you're welcome here even if you're crabby. Um, I don't know if you get crabby because of lack of sleep. I just want you to know you can be crabby in this place. That's all right. You can be broken in this place. You can be incomplete in this place. We just want people for whatever you are to show up as you are and then leave like never before. Because you came with needs and then God shows up in miraculous ways. The complete one comes to heal us and I hope that happens in these moments. And I'm so excited for today. In fact, I'm usually geeked out. I'm like on a super high geeked outedness level today because uh, we're starting a new series uh, called the, the Words of Life from a Dying Man. We get to peer into Jesus' passion and see his final words that he speaks from the cross and I believe they're going to speak such life, such hope into our own lives today. But with that, let's get going. Let's get going. Um, I have a quiz for you and I gave you the answer already in the service. But what is the mission statement of Amazing Love? It is to reach the lost. You guys did good. That's awesome. Um, and, and that's the goal. We want to find people who don't know Jesus, tell them about Jesus. It's going to be awesome. Well, I, I want you to know, as a pastor, I have a personal mission statement. I don't know if you knew this. Um, my personal mission statement is this. It is to convince others that God is good. And then this is why. Because many people are walking around with misconceptions over how, who God is. And they have misconceptions because they heard misrepresentations, which leads to misunderstandings over the nature and the character of who God is. And so for me, I just want to convince me, he's, he's a good God. He's a good God. And so the analogy I use for God is that of Krispy Kreme donuts. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but Homewood opened a Krispy Kreme Anyone know that? They opened a Homewood Krispy Kreme? Yeah, yeah. And so I went this morning... And uh, I got it with the sign on. Here's where, where I was at 6 a.m. daylight savings time. And, and these were fresh off the roll. And, and the thing is, when I bite one, which I'm going to do, <laughs> no one has to convince me this is a good donut. We don't have to have a logical debate. I don't need Shaq to represent Krispy Kreme for me to convince me it's good. I don't need the president. I don't need any advertising. For my taste buds confirm, this is indeedy do a great donut. And in fact, I bought some for you guys. Um, so if anyone wants a Krispy Kreme donut, I know in the front row, you know, we're just gonna, cause I think in our renovations, we need like a donut gun, right? A donut gun. Sorry, sorry, I've they're, they're soft, they're soft. So I think Church Mutual will be okay that I'm doing this. But anyway, um, you know, so just donuts for everyone because they're just, they're fantastic. And, and I wanted to share the love because maybe, 
Yeah, yeah, the donut gun. Maybe if you sink your teeth into them, you'll have the same experience. These, by the way, were sealed right off the line. I was in the car furiously putting them in bags to try to catch the freshness. Well, the reason I, I bring this up is because I believe, okay, I got a point. I got a point. It's not just about donuts. I got a point. I believe that if you finally see God for who he actually is, as he tells us in the Bible, when you actually understand the message coming down from the cross, I believe that we walk away and we can say nothing else than this, that we have tasted and we have seen that the Lord is good. See, see, my experience with Jesus is a good one. It's not some theoretical hypothesis. It's not some, some debate. It's not some, some logical information that has convinced me. It is my own personal walk with who God is that convinces me, man, if you just taste and see, you're going to say he is good. I could tell you that salvation is a gift. In fact, as a pastor, I feel like Santa Claus because I don't just give away donuts. I get to say, do you know salvation is free? No strings attached. You're not even considering about what you give for an offering. Do you know he wants way more for you than he ever wanted from you and everything he gave to you is actually from him anyway? Santa Claus. And then it's not just about salvation as a gift. I, I like walk with God every day and my life isn't perfect. It's far from it. But I see grace over grace over grace. My experience is that God is good. In fact, I've always been hoping that this place could be a place where you could come in and you could meet with the real-life living God and leave knowing that he is real and that he is good. But to convince you today, I'm going to get beyond donuts and let's turn to the Word of God. To convince you he is a good God, I want to get you to know the conversation he had with someone on the cross. We're going to get into our lesson from Luke chapter 23. Um, the disciple Luke records what Jesus said as he was hanging on the cross. And, and we get to again learn what this means for us. So let's turn there, Luke chapter 23. It says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. You know, I was reading a commentator, How Bad It Got for Jesus, one commentator says, kind of like the devil released the dogs, all the, the wicked dogs, to bark at Jesus at the cross. They're just barking the whole, whole time. And so, so, so that was the case with the criminal. But the other criminal rebuked him and said, Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. <laughs> what an unlikely preacher of the gospel that day. The criminal on the cross cannot help but confess who Jesus is. He is the Holy One, the Innocent One, the One in the fullness of God, and yet was found without sin. How amazing is this declaration on the day he died. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, I bet when he heard those words, it was better than Krispy Kreme. And I'm hoping that as you hear those words and you understand their implications, that you are convinced too, he is a good, good God. Could you turn to the person next to you and just say, he's a good God? He's a good God. So let's discuss just a little bit. <clears throat> I grew up in Wisconsin during the 80s and the 90s, and there was one person's name who, if you heard it, it could send chills down your spine. That person's name was Jeffrey Dahmer. Does anyone remember hearing of Jeffrey Dahmer? I won't go into all the sordid details, but suffice it to say, he was a bad man. 
Um, in fact, he killed 17 people. I won't go into details, but part of it included cannibalistic activity, and that's about all I want to say about Jeffrey Dahmer's activity. Uh, some things I just, I'm a simple man, just uh, don't want to speak about. So, so then why are you bringing up Jeffrey Dahmer? Well, let me tell you why. Because it is reported that while he was in prison, he was given a Bible. And some say that at the end of his life, he became a devout follower of Jesus. In fact, he was baptized in 1994 in May uh, by a pastor, uh, Roy Radcliffe, in the prison whirlpool. So he was baptized. And, and the pastor met with him um, regularly afterwards, and he even felt guilty for all he'd done. In, in fact, he thought it was a sin that he'd still be alive after all that he had done and everything he had committed. Well, he was baptized in May, and in November, he was uh, scrubbing the, the, the gym bathroom. This is what Jeffrey Dahmer looks like. Um, he was scrubbing the gym bathroom, and his life was taken by an inmate. Uh, so, uh, so again, it came to a head. And, and the question that really riled up even the, the best Christians at that period of time was this. Could he have really been forgiven? Could he really go to heaven? And I tell you what, when I was growing up, this would make even the best church people squirm. Because the best church people sat in their, 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 their pews or whatever it was, or their thoughts or their ideologies, and, and there was something in them that said, that cannot be, because that would be completely unfair. Don't you know his story? Don't you know his past? How would he be able to be forgiven? But then I look at the story for today. Today we meet a criminal on a cross. Now, what does it take to be crucified? Well, other accounts tell us that he was actually a thief. Now, what do you have to steal to be crucified? I'm thinking like Herod's girlfriend. Uh, that's just my thought. Uh, maybe he was on Tinder. And anyway, so, um, but, but, but it's got to be pretty bad if you're crucified for what you stole. You know what I'm saying? And he admits, he's like not trying to hide anything. He like totally comes clean. In fact, look what he says about himself. He says, I'm getting or we're getting what we deserve. We're punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. And then in the very next moment, he throws out a lifeline. He just says, but Jesus, would you remember me? And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And what this means is that this activity of sin, which he just confessed deserves that punishment, has now been deleted. And it's incredible. It's ridiculous. It's, 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 it's just extraordinary. In fact, that, that, that grace would go that far, it just, it almost doesn't make sense. In fact, you know, Jesus told a parable of how this doesn't really make logical sense. And, and I wanted to illustrate this parable real quick. So I have three volunteers. I'm going to call my three volunteers at this point. Um, it, it works out because I have three members of my family. And, um, and we're going to do a parable that Jesus told, and I've got to get your equipment. So, uh, Bella, you're going to stand at the end reel right here. You're going to carry the, the, the rake. Um, Catherine, my dear. Yep, careful with the rake. You get the shovel, okay? And then Nadia thought this was size appropriate. There you go. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to say Dad has a lot of yard work to do, and I'm going to hire you out. And, and, and Dad has big bucks. I'm going to hire you out for $5 a piece. Yep, that's a good day's wage. Um, and, and what happens is that you are going to start at 7 a.m. You are going to start at noon. And you are going to work for one minute with your little shovel. Okay? 
So let's say they do it, and they're really good sports about it. They've been working hard in the field. And so, so I come up, and I say, Bella, thank you for all your hard work. Five dollars. Hey, thanks, babe, for the hard work. Hope I didn't get in trouble through all of this. This is really hard husband and wife. But anyway, thank you for being a worker. Awesome. And then Nadia for a minute. Now, what this was actually illustrating by God was this point. That the payment was paradise. It wasn't five dollars. That the, the, the owner of the field was God. And, and what this represents is, Bella, you are someone who believed in Jesus from very early on. You were baptized as a baby. You always were in church. And, and finally, your whole life through, you got the, the payment of paradise. And you represent today, oh, thank you for being here. Um, you represent uh, someone in high school, college, who learned about Jesus kind of midway through, baptized, went. And then you, my dear, you're so much better, but, but you represent our thief on the cross. Okay. <laughs> You're so much better. I, I, she's, she's better than the thief, right? But, but she represents it because the thief believed for a minute. And, and you need to know the story of the thief. For the thief was just moments ago insulting God. Do you know that? In fact, in Matthew's account, here, here's what it says. It's in the same way the rebels, he was included, were heaping insults. So, so in one minute, again, he was cursing God, insulting him. In the other minute, he comes to God, and that's enough? God says, yep, that's enough. So thank you. You can keep the $5, but you can put down the utensils. So let's give them a round of applause. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And every logical business person says, that's not a good way of conducting your business, right? That ain't logical, nor does it scale, nor is it fair. And, and, and here we understand grace. Because the first point about grace is that grace goes beyond fairness. It's not about fairness. Grace is better than fair. See, see Isaiah the prophet, he would say this about grace. He would say, God, God says this, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine, milk, without money, without cost. And I'm like, I can't do that at Whole Foods, Right? If I'm going to Whole Foods, they need payment. I can't do that at the farmer's market. They need something, right? I can't do this at Trader Joe's or for me, it's Aldi. They all require payment, but God says, not with me. And here is the beautiful reality of the cross of Jesus. When Jesus dies, fairness dies. When Jesus is crucified, fairness is crucified along with him, and it gave way to grace. Grace is God's undeserved goodness that he would give to a thief committing to Christ at the very end of his life. And this is the, the reality of Jesus and his goodness. Oh, I wish there was a way I could tell you how good he was. This is grace. And so what we see is this story, and it's incredible. But with this story, I need to give you a warning. I need to give you a warning. Um, I need to warn you that this is not an example to be emulated, but it's an explanation of what grace is. Because there are some of you who are very pragmatic, and maybe you're even a business person, and you're saying, so if you can only work for a minute and still get paradise, let's be that one, right? And you are the smart Alex of the congregation, by the way. You're a little less holy than us. I'm just <laughs> But it might have crossed your mind, right? 
Why don't I plan things in such a way so that I can do what I want, when I want, with whom I want for a little while, and as long as I come around in the end, I'll be okay. And I think a generation is being tempted by this very idea. Uh, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to sow my wild oats, and hopefully I'll come around in the end, and if it's long as I come around in the end, it'll all work out. I've got to tell you, it's tricky. If you're planning to come around in the end, I, I believe it's the equivalent of playing this game at Taco Bell. I went to Taco Bell, and, and when you went to the register, for, for years they had this, this game where you put a coin in, and, and you had to get it land on a lever. You remember this thing? And, and I played it over and over and over. I don't even know what you were supposed to win, because I never won, right? I think it was like a taco, like big winner, right? Whoa! Anyway, but, but you, you never won because no matter how you put the, 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 the coin in, you didn't know what the water was going to do, right? And, and the water would do some, one thing one time and another thing another time, and, and I never had it where it needed to be. It never, it never got on the lever. If your game plan of faith is I'm going to clock out a season and come back when it's appropriate for me, you're playing a trickier game than the Taco Bell leather game. And life, it's trickier than water. You have no idea where it's going to lead you. You have no idea when you're going to want to come back, if you come back at all. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to tell you the reality of faith for those who are planning a slow fade, for those who are attempting to come back when it's convenient for them. I don't think faith works that way. In fact, faith is so much better just that you have it and hold on to it than trying to regain it when it's lost. Jesus told another parable about what faith is. Faith is like this treasure found in a field. And when a person found the treasure, he sold everything else. He, he quit his job, he sold his stuff, and all he bought was that field. Because that's all he wanted. And so following Jesus' idea of reckless abandon, I don't care what I have to lose, who I have to leave, if I have you, Jesus, that's all that matters anyway. And that was the point. So please do not look at the criminal or Jeffrey Dahmer as your example. Please just see them as explanations of what grace is all about. And grace is good. Because what we recognize is this next point. That a lifetime of sin can be erased in a moment. And that moment has a double entente. It's erased in the moment of Jesus' crucifixion. And it's erased in the moment of your conversion. See, when Jesus dies, every sin is paid for. But this comes to us through faith, which is through conversion. And I believe that, that faith is a gift of God as, as, as the Spirit works through the Word or through baptism. And it's in that moment that, that you have something happen that is incredible, that, that you receive what Jesus won on the cross. All through that moment of conversion. And I need to work out uh, what, what this idea of faith is like. I need to work it out. And what I was working out this idea, it reminds me of how like taffy has worked out. Have you ever seen taffy machine? They like spin and it just expands. I need to expand this a little bit, if, if you'll let me. I was reading the Chicago Tribune, and uh, they were talking about identity theft. Identity theft. Has anyone ever had their identity stolen? Okay, okay. Um, I had someone in Russia use my credit card to book the Ritz-Carlton. So I hope they had a great night, but uh, I didn't. Anyway, um, and, 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 and identity theft is a reality. Um, read that the, the IRS is cracking down 46% less cases of it this year, uh, but, but it's a reality. And what happens in identity theft? Well, someone steals your ID, credit card, social security, 
and they do it to steal your money. Uh, for IRS, they'll, they'll try to get your tax refund before you ever, you know, get to April 15th. And, and in my case, they steal my credit card to, to go to Russia or whatever that is. And, um, and that's what it's all about. The reason I bring this up is that faith enables the most glorious identity theft that is possible. In fact, that's what the first lesson was all about. When Abraham believed in God... Look at this verse. Abraham believed in God, had faith, and what happens? Identity theft, my friends, because he was credited righteousness. And whose righteousness? It ain't Abraham's. He was a sinful dude. Just listen to his story. Watch his story. Just count with Hagar. It'll blow your mind. It wasn't his righteousness. No, it was righteous of the righteous one who was coming, and he didn't even know his name. But that's how faith works. Not by sight, but by belief in God who we haven't seen but believe. And just through belief, he gained the identity of Jesus. He was made righteous because of the righteous one who was coming for him. Now consider the criminal. He mouths his confession that you are the Holy One, and what happens? I consider the vantage point of God the Father. Put yourself in the shoes of God the Father who's looking down at the cross. What he must have seen is, that's no longer the criminal. No, I see my son Jesus there. I see, I see righteousness there. But then I see him look at Jesus. That's no longer my son. That's the criminal. That's the sinner. There's this transference that happens. Almost uncanny. From identity to identity. Because the cross says that he who had no sin became sin for us so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. Let me tell you your identity, righteous one. You sure look a lot like Jesus. And this is the glorious news of grace. But I wish there was a way I could tell you how good God was. (laughs) Maybe I'll find one. Well, as we go on, I I wanted to say, uh, with that, no sin is bigger than God's grace. That's so important to understand. And yes, some sins in this world have earthly consequences. I'm going to be straight with you. Uh, some sins in this world, you, you might go to jail for. You might even have capital punishment for. But, but, but the reality of sin spiritually is every one of them needs to be paid. And every one of them has been paid. And because this is the case, I don't know about you, I've always been hoping that this church could be a safe place for big sinners. Do you know what I'm talking about? I always hoped that this place would be a safe place for big sinners, that that it wouldn't just be church people who know church lingo and church dress and church custom, but that anyone, in fact, the people who think they don't belong would feel like they belong here. Because we need to be a church that no matter who comes in, they need to know that as, as big as your sin was, and we're not rejoicing in sin, we just need to let you know that grace has went further. You need to know that if you came in here today with with sins of lust or greed or gossip, that grace has gone further and has covered it. You need to know if you came in with the big sins as identified in this world, grace has gone further. It doesn't matter if you committed adultery, theft, or murder. Grace went further. See, the glorious gospel is that God can take those who did the unspeakable and make them presentable before his Father. Isn't that amazing? Let me say it again. God can take those who did the unspeakable and make them presentable before his Father. But I wish there was a way I could tell you how good he was. 
but grace goes on. And I'm not done yet. Sometimes you have social situations where you're ashamed to be with someone. In fact, I was, uh, I was listening to Chicago Radio, and, and no one wants to claim association with a quarterback named Jay Cutler anymore. They released him. I don't know if you heard this, right? And the people just spouted off as if in hubris, like they were great quarterbacks themselves. Like, like they could comment on, anyway, like the people were like, I don't even want him to clean my house. Can't even scrub my toilet. That's how much I don't want Jay Cutler, right? And we know this is a reality. Sometimes we don't want to associate with certain people. In fact, I was watching another clip on Facebook uh, of a dad who probably didn't want to be associated with his kids. You know what I'm saying? His kids come in. Let me, let me just show you this. No, I would argue that this is a triumph of democracy. Scandals happen all the time. The question is, how do democracies respond to those scandals? Uh, and what will it mean for, uh, for the wider region? I think one of your children has just walked in. I mean, shift is shifting... Shifting sands in the region, do you think relations with the north may change? Um, I would be surprised if they do. <laughs> the, um, pardon me. That's right, pardon me. My apologies. <laughs> what risk is going to be for the region? My apologies. North, uh, this is my favorite part, it's coming. Watch this. Um, North Korea, North, uh, South Korea's policy choices on North Korea have been severely limited in the last six months to a year because of North Korea's behavior, uh, most recently the use of VX gas. So this guy, I'd be like, that is not my child. No, what that is doing here. I don't even know what it is. All right. Can't be me. Sophisticated businessman on BBC. All right. You ever been there with your kids, though? Right? Not my kids, they're sitting in the front row. But anyway, uh, you could be like in a, a store, and it's like, would the parent of the kid in the Spider-Man costume please come to the front desk? Uh, he was setting the aisle on fire. We don't know where he got the matches or the lighter, but it was pretty bad. And you're like, oh my goodness, I do not want to go. Not my child, right? On the day the thief died, no one wants to associate and know his name. If his mama was there, it wasn't a proud mama moment. No mama was shouting, there's my son. Look how proud I am. No, he had no one. And in a day when no one wanted to associate with him, there was one who stood by him. And who was that? Jesus is his name. He said, though all leave you, all desert you, I will vouch for you. In fact, I will not only vouch for you here as I say the words, today you'll be with me. I'll vouch for you in moments when we're with the Father and I say, I know this man, he's with me. I wish there was a way I could tell you how good God was. I'm trying. But do you know this is the same Jesus? The same Jesus who is willing to associate with us. And Jesus is so good that I was reading a commentator who said that the day of judgment, the theater of judgment, changed into a working place of grace. And that should have been the case for the criminal. He, he, he had a period of judgment and now turns into grace, all because of Jesus. Because grace wins in the end. And grace triumphs over everything in the end. And that is our story, my friends. And you have someone who is going to stick by you whether you have people today or not. You have someone who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You have someone who says to you, I will be your comfort and your guide and your consolation to the very end until I call you home. You have Jesus who sings to you, I'll stand by you. Even in your darkest hour. I'll stand by you. Well, let anyone hurt you. 
I'll stand by you. I'll never desert you. <laughs> Someone caught on to the pretender song. But anyway, that's what Jesus says. In a real way. When we feel alone, when we feel filled, I don't care. He's always going to be with you. And, and, then, and then I was thinking about Jesus. Put yourself in his shoes. This is the day when everyone had deserted him. This is the day when his father is going to leave him and turn his face away. And, and you need to know the nobility of Jesus in this moment. Because on the day when everyone is deserting him, he still stands by someone else. And this is so essential if you come in today and you're a Christian because sometimes Christians, we get on a power trip and we're like, God, you're asking me to do too much. You're expecting me to do too much, God. I cannot handle it. Please stop. Please look at our leader again. Please see him on the day that he is alone, stick by with someone who didn't deserve it. And then argue with him about fairness. He's a good guy. But now we need to find ourselves in the story because there were two criminals that day. There were two criminals. One of the criminals was a mocker. One of the criminals said, remember, which one are you? One of them didn't want to be real with the fact that they had made mistakes. One of the ones was real even in the very end that they had committed mistakes. Which one are you? And before you answer that question, let me tell you another parable. There's this parable of a prodigal. A prodigal who asked for the father's inheritance and uh, basically saying, I wish you were dead, Father. I just want your money. And uh, in my terminology, if I freshen the parable up, he went to Vegas. And in Vegas, uh, he lived the party lifestyle, partied like it was his birthday in the club every night, and it was an unsustainable lifestyle. Um, he committed sexual immorality that's available. You know, that's, that's what he did. And then he lost all his money. It got so bad for him, he had to do blue-collar work. And, and so he went to a farm, and, and his job was feeding the pigs. And he was so hungry that he wanted what the pigs were eating. Now, I've been around pigs. I don't want to be in the same pen with pigs. Uh, needless to say, I don't want to eat what they eat. But it was that moment in the pig slop that he finally realized how good his father had been. And then he compared his current misery with the miraculous grace of his father. And he said, not even the slaves in my father's house are treated the way I'm being treated right now. Maybe if I go back. And the story about the prodigal, maybe it took the moment in the pig slop to understand what he had with the father. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it took such a moment. And maybe the story of the thief is that it took such a moment for the thief where he had no other options and he had come to the end of himself that he finally, he finally wanted what Jesus had to offer. See, maybe God doesn't work in spite of our darkest moments, but because of our darkest moments where we come to the end of ourself, it reminds me of my frustration with this tree stump. I've been willing uh, to work with this tree stump for about five months, and I drilled holes in it, and I put stump stuff in it that should have made it spongy and easy to remove. It didn't do that. And I bought an axe, and I think I axed that thing as much as baseball swings as I've ever had, and still it's there. And it's, this past week, I finally said, I am done. I'm defeated. It's only then that I hired out Davy Tree to grind that baby for me. It's only when I claim defeat that I found the solution. Is it possible that there's grace in your misery? Because God allows you to know what defeat is so that you finally come to the end of yourself and say, I need a solution outside of myself. 
is impossible. He lets us see the defeat and the, and the, the pig slop that we've made in life so that we cling to the Father. And now is our opportunity to be like the good thief, the one who said, remember. Today's the day to be real. If maybe in the, in the past there have been things that have not been acceptable by God. The, the criminal was called an evildoer. Has there been evil in your life? Maybe years ago, months ago, or minutes ago. I don't, I don't care. But it's time to be real that there is evil in our lives. The church calls that sin. And in these moments, we can be willing to admit our defeat. God, I have been defeated. And if you're willing to do that, I believe it's when we acknowledge our greatest defeat that can lead to our ultimate victory. If you're sitting here today and you're willing to say, I don't have it all together and I have done evil just like that criminal, then I have good news for you. Because in place of defeat, he gives you victory. In fact, if you've come here and you've just clung to the cross and say, Jesus, forgive me, I have good news to you. You have a new identity. You are the righteous and holy one of God. I get to tell you that the day Jesus died was the day of your salvation because your sins have been washed away and he doesn't see them anymore. And you get to hear these words. I have to change one word. Not today, but someday. Yes, yeah, someday you will be with me in paradise. Paradise, which was referred to as a Garden of Eden, a place of delight, paradise, where we will be with Jesus. And I believe after seeing who God, uh, for who he actually is, we're going to experience that, that this world has nothing upon the glory of God. We're going to be like, that is amazing. Where's that been all my life? I like that better than Krispy Kreme. Paradise, where you don't have to deal with misery anymore because sin is done away with. How awesome. This is our hope. So, big question. Is there anything that you listen to that convinced you God is good? Anything at all? Well, then you have homework. How are you going to tell the world that you know God is good? See, a criminal, he just said, you're the Holy One of God. I say he's like Krispy Kreme donuts. I don't know what you're going to do. But it's yours to figure out. Maybe for you it's about how you interact with your kids and you're going to tell them by your priorities and your actions that the God we worship is a good God. Maybe for you it's how you interact with your coworkers and by your work ethic you're going to say, the God that I actually work for, he is a good God. Maybe it's around your classmates and you're going to go to school and you're going to say it's actually a joy to live for God because his ways are good and they help me. Maybe for us in a post-Christian society, which some are calling a post-Christian, we're going to say, but I still stand by Jesus regardless of how many others stand with me because he stood by me when no one else would. You know, I can't produce your playbook for this, but I can convince you that out of the heart is the overflow of our activity. And I can convince you that with our hearts we believe and are justified, but it's with our mouths that we confess and are saved. And so this is your homework, dear friends. Go tell the world that God He's better than Krispy Kreme. Amen. Please stand.